You know, this will be the last Sunday that I'll be saying this the way that I'm about to say it, and I've got mixed emotions about it. In fact, I've got mixed emotions about putting a timer on myself right now. Why, why do that this Sunday? Why not just go the way I normally go, which is whenever? Uh, and here's what it is. I want to say good morning, Impact. Good morning, Impact. Good morning. And good morning, Forest Hill. And good morning to both of you together because we are one body. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's give this service to God. Father, this day has been a long time coming, Lord, and we've waited for it anxiously. And Father, sometimes I've waited for it in, in sorrow, Lord. Sometimes I've waited for it in excitement, God. And today, as I look out and see the people that are here, and as you make uh, two distinct bodies one, Father, because we all are one, gathered in your name, Father, and to serve your purposes. I've already felt the harmony and the knitting together of brothers and sisters in Christ. May that increase. Father, may we lift high your name in this area of Southeast Charlotte, Lord. And may this be the day we look back on as the beginning of something great for you, not us, but for your glory and honor. Speak to us, Lord, about your mission, about your purposes. And Father, whether we're here in America or China or Iran or anywhere in the world, Lord, these purposes don't change. This mission doesn't change and how we do it doesn't change. And as impact becomes Forest Hill, it doesn't change. The wording may look a little different, but the mission is the same. To reach those for you, Lord. To teach them and to send them out. Pray that'll sink home today, Lord. Hit home today and we'll live it. We'll leave here today transformed, different than how we walked in, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've come to, for those of you that don't know, and I know there's, there's Forest Hill people here today, so I'm Rob Singleton, the pastor of, of Impact Church, a very young church plant that will forever remain young because it will not make it to a year before becoming something, I think, more special and beautiful that, honestly, we talked about it taking years and years to become, may happen literally overnight, and we're thrilled about that. Uh, and David Chadwick, the pastor, your pastor, the pastor of Forest Hill, is sitting right down front, and my wife is here today, and so... This is going to be a day where I may struggle a little bit. I won't be my, my usual joking, you know, maybe I will. Maybe God will just will, will give me that strength on that. There's been a lot of emotions already this morning. There's been tears already this morning. There's, there's just been a lot packed into this one day. So I hope you'll understand that. And I hope you'll be forgiving of that. Should I break down and start blubbering like a seven-year-old little girl? No, I've come to discover that one of the most common questions that believers have, if not, and actually beyond believers, even in, in secular humanistic society that humankind has throughout life, is a really simple question, and I wonder why we ask it all the time, because the answer is incredibly obvious. Uh, you don't have to worry about this being a test or a quiz or an SAT type thing. This is really, really easy. It's almost embarrassing that I got to bring it up. It's kind of like this question I read this morning. How many of you are following the World Cup? Any World Cup fans? then you're aware that there's a kind of important game today at five, right? We're going to get you out by 4.30, so you can see that. I promise you that. So the, uh, this question, I was checking up on World Cup scores, and this question came up. And it's one of those questions you go, did, he, did they really print that? They really ask it? Here it is. Let's see if you can discover or answer this. How did the world's highest paid soccer player get this supermodel? Think about that for a moment. I believe the answer is contained within the question. Don't you think? Highest paid soccer player. Yeah, I wonder how much that is. Two, three, four hundred million. How did he get this girl, do you think? We don't have time. We're not going to answer that. I'm not going to go there. But I'm going I'm to say this question is easier, but asked even more than that. We have this infinitely more important question to answer this morning. 
Let me give you a few scenarios in which it is most often heard. This question will be raised in these scenarios a lot. Children in the lunchroom who finish eating early. You know, you're seven, eight, nine years old, you're in the lunchroom at school, you finish eating early, you're going to hear this question. Here's another one. High schoolers one day after graduation. You're going to, I hear this all the time. Married people just back from their honeymoon are going to ask this question. People everywhere after finishing an exam early. You know, you finish the exam and then you're going to ask this or hear this. The disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven. Now that's a leap from all those to this. And I could go on and on. There's many, many scenarios where you're going to hear this question. And the answer is so obvious. I ask it all the time. I'll probably keep asking it. After beating myself up in this sermon, I'm going to go out today and I, I can't promise you I'm not going to ask this question again. And then there's this question's some of you go, what's the question? Just spit it out. No, not yet. Patience, my friends. Then there's the distant cousin question to this question I'm talking about. Although I doubt they're even really related because they're, they're complete opposites. Here's the distant cousin one. I'll give you that first. What do you feel like doing? Have you ever asked that? Hey, what do you feel like doing? Hey, now that we're done with this, what do you guys feel like doing? Right, that's the distant cousin question. That's not the real one, but that's asked a lot too. I say I doubt that they're related because often they have nothing in common. Most Christians know what the Lord has called them to do. I mean, if you've been a believer for more than a year or two or three years and you know, you're old enough to, to get to church, maybe on your own, you've heard this. And yet the most common question I think that believers ask anywhere is, how can I know the will of God? How can I know what God wants me to do? And I'm often thinking, you know, it's pretty simple. It's right there in the word of God, the will of God. And usually when somebody asks me that question, I'll respond with some of the basic things that Jesus tells us to do. And I'll ask them, are you praying? Are you, are you studying God's word? Are you in the word? Are you getting to know him more? And if they'll say no to that, then I'll say, then you better put that will of God, that special, uh, uniquely shaped will of God for your life aside right now because you're not obeying him in the simple things. Because really, it's not a mystery question. And, and God is not playing a shell game with you, with his will for your life. There's a uh, little pebble or whatever it is under there, under every shell. It's that easy to find. Most Christians know what God's called them to do. But whether or not they do it, I mean, that's a whole nother story. Whether or not they do it, that's a whole nother, that's the real predicament. Probably another sermon for another time. So just in case you are one of the many who have forgotten <clears throat> how to answer this question as a believer... Here's the question. And I'm going to let it hang in the air for just a moment. The question is this. Remember all the scenarios I gave you? Disciples, Jesus ascended to heaven, finishing exam, really all those back from the honeymoon. Remember? Got that? Here's a simple question. What do we do now? Just think about that a moment. How many times have you asked that? Hey, what are we supposed to do now? Does anybody have any idea what we're supposed to do now? I mean, I know what we did leading up to this point, but how about now or now? What do we do? As though it's some great mystery and we're supposed to sit there and get a lightning bolt or a revelation from God or we can't move. What do we do now? I want to answer it one final time for my family and friends and impact and, and for the first of many times because I know David's gone over this many, many times in his ministry, what we are to do now. So if you're taking notes, just a couple of things here. First, the what. Here it is. Here's what we are to do now. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 28. 
Matthew 28, 18 through 20. It always amazes me that I do not hear a lot of pages fluttering when I say that. And I guess I'm one of the few that actually brings this to church anymore. Now we bring our iPads and our iPhones. And so get there in your iPad, iPhone, or your real Bible for real Christians, the one that has pages in it. <clears throat> Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And gang, this is our mission. This is what we are to do now. In fact, it's even called that, the mission, the great co-mission. And Jesus came and said to his disciples and all those that were gathering, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. So, we're talking about two churches that are vibrant and alive and one that's been around for a long time and continues to grow and God's blessed it tremendously. Another one that is young that God has blessed tremendously in its short, short time here. And the question is, what do we do? Where do we do it? This thing called the Great Commission, where do we do it? Well, the Bible says we, believers, will be working in a place, a great big place. And I'm gonna tell you, this is, get ready, this is super easy. If you think this place to work is going to be hard to find, you're going to love this. It's a place called the Harvest Field. Somebody's like, where's that located? Can I GPS that? Just give me the coordinates. Give me longitude, latitude. Just give me, I'll plug that into my iPhone. Well, here's the good news. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. And others are thinking, well, do they need me? More good news. Yes, they need you. Turns out that unlike our present day economy, the unemployment opportunity or the employment opportunities in this great big harvest field are 100%. I mean, anybody who comes looking for a job in the harvest field gets it. You never get turned down. The owner, the, the, the keeper of the, of the field, of the earth, never says, you know what, I've got a lot of workers right now, but if you come back, I think we might be able to come back in about six months. We may have, some, it's never like that. You can come at any time, and there's always a job opening. 100% employment opportunities. Turn in Luke 10, and I'll show you this big harvest field. Jesus had just sent out a bunch of laborers, sent out the 70, told them to go to town to town, healing people and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. He said to them, the harvest, Luke 10 to, is plentiful. It's great. Here's the problem. The laborers are few. Therefore, here's what I want you to do. And here's what I want you to do, Forshill. Pray earnestly, not 30 seconds before you eat, but earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And if you want to know one of the main reasons that God put this on my heart, that God put this on David Chadwick's heart, to do this, it's for more laborers to get done this mission. So the harvest is great. Our mission is the Great Commission. That's why God left you and I here on this earth. That's why when he saved us, he didn't just take us right to heaven. We're here for a mission to bring others into the kingdom, to tell them about Jesus Christ, to rescue them. And if you're not quite sure how to go about this, or if, if you're like a lot of people that are believers and you just kind of have excuses because there's fear. In other words, you go, I'm not sure I know enough to witness. I'm not sure I know enough to share my faith. I, I don't even know if I can, I know enough Bible verses to not get trapped by somebody. Good news. All you have to do is be his witness. Tell people what Jesus did in your life. And here's how you do it. See, I just gave you the what. That's a great commission. Here's the how. And then I'm going to wrap up my time and, and introduce the impactors to a great, great man of God that I have come to love and that has mentored me. And um, I'm getting ahead of myself because here's the how. Matthew 22. 
37 to 39 is the how for the Great Commission. Jesus had a rich young ruler come up to him who was really keeping the law pretty good. Probably better than me, probably better than a lot of you. Really pretty squeaky clean. Wealthy, had a lot of authority, young. Get the idea, he's popular, good looking guy. And he asked what he should do. And he said, I've kept a lot of commandments. I feel pretty good, but I don't, I'm, I'm not there. Something's wrong. And Jesus said to him, you know, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first commandment. This is the greatest commandment. But then he quickly added something to it. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbors yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I wish I had more time to unpack that because it's one of my favorite scriptures in, uh, in, in all of God's word. But it basically means this. They had 610, 610, uh, 613 different laws. The religious leaders, Pharisees and all had God's people follow. And Jesus was basically saying this. Instead of trying to memorize all that and, and coach your own behavior <clears throat> and walk according to the rules, if you just loved me with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, you'd automatically live for me and you'd automatically be like me. Really, the only thing you have to focus on and remember is to love me. How simple is that? A five-year-old can remember that. You know, some employee handbooks simply tell you how to dress, when to show up, and how to make widgets. God's handbook is a, is a bit different. Jesus tells us that he's actually going to do the final work. He's the one that's going to save people. So he says, just love me with all your heart. Show up for work. Show up to the harvest field. Open your mouth. Tell people what God is, what I've done in your life, and I'll, I'll save them. I'll save them. And it never fails. People have been saying to me for years, they ask me all the time, you know, a lot of people have been saved in your ministry. How many people have you saved? My answer is always the same, none, zero. I heard it was a little bit more than that. No, I've still currently added it up just the other day. Still comes to zero. I haven't saved anybody. I cast the net. David cast the net. Jesus does the saving. And when you witness to people about what God's done in your life, when you present the gospel in your own life, one-on-one -on -one or in groups and small groups, whatever, you're being faithful. You're a worker in the harvest field. Jesus does the saving. As long as we love God first and others as much as we love ourselves, we will please the one who saved us. That's being on mission. So we accomplish the mission, the what, with the how of loving God and loving others. So what do we do now? Impactors are probably wondering, well, there's more people here than there were last week. It's summertime and there's still more people here than there were. What do we do now? Same thing we've always done. We continue going out into the world and making disciples, teaching people to follow Jesus. Same mission. And how do we do it? We do it in genuine love for God first and people second. Is there anything better than that that you could be doing with your life? Impact expresses this in three words, and we all know it by now. It's rescue, raise, release. Rescue, raise, release. I thought that was probably the easiest way to remember the mission. Uh, three R's. What could be better than that? And then I heard Forest Hills. No, grow, go. And they rhyme. I mean, how could it be any easier than that? It's the only thing I'm jealous of there. It's the same thing, but there's rhyme. Who can't remember that? It's like a catchy little tune. I can't even get it out of my head if I try. Three words, three different words. Same mission, same exact mission. It hasn't changed. Friends, today the Impact Church family will be officially adopted into the larger Forest Hill family. It's a great day. And today we'll begin to send forth a hundred times more laborers into the harvest field than we could have sent before. 
Today we will see our capacity to love the communities around us increase exponentially. Just like that. Overnight. Today we'll be led by the pastor of pastors in Charlotte. David hates when I bring this up. But I'm up here now and he's down there and his mic's off. Keep it off. <laughs> the truth is, almost every pastor in this town worth anything considers that man to be their pastor. He's the pastor to pastors. He's my pastor. When I first came to Charlotte and looked desperately for a church that was evangelical that would reach the lost, I couldn't find one until I went to Forest Hill. And I found a church that cared about the lost and I was home. I also met my wife at Forest Hill. I found my wife at Forest Hill, so it was a great deal. I mean, it, was, it couldn't have gotten much better than that. I owe a lot to Forest Hill. We became members. My wife's sitting down there in front, Michelle. We became members at Forest Hill and, and God put on my heart to plant a church. So really, everything started there. Became great friends with David and Marilyn. David married uh, my wife and I. And uh, in so many ways, it just feels like with this adoption, that so many beautiful things have come all the way around. That was almost 20 years ago. But Pastor Rob, you look so young. How's that possible? Our God's in the miracle working business. It's, it's, it's possible. So today, in just a moment, in fact, Impactors will have the opportunity to meet one of the most humble and godly men that I've had the privilege of knowing in my life. He's a mentor, a winner of souls, a man with a deep and abiding love for the Savior. And when you ask people to describe David in one word, it's probably no coincidence that you keep getting the same word no matter who you ask. He said it. Somebody said it out there. Humble. Humble. You know, in the world's eyes, if he wanted to, and he doesn't, but in the world's eyes, if he wanted to brag, he could brag. There's a lot of accomplishments in his life. A lot's been done for the kingdom. A lot's been done secularly. Accomplishments in sports, accomplishments as, as an author, accomplishments as a pastor, as a great father, a great husband. A lot could be said, but nothing ever is self-serving. He's one of the most humble men of God I know, I've ever known. It's funny, when you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. And He's going to lift up this church and do great and mighty things through this man so I want you all to put your hands together, Impact and Forest Hill, now Forest Hill, and welcome David Chadwick. Wow, who's he talking about? <laughs> um, I'll say to you what I say to Forest Hill folks all the time, and that is, I am nothing and Christ is everything. Amen. That Forest Hill Church is made up of a colossal collection of moral fallops, and I lead the parade. Um, expect me to fail you, for I probably will. But I serve a great Savior who forgives over and over again to Him be the glory. Just a little bit about myself for those of you who, who don't know. Um, I'm married to Marilyn, my best friend, my partner, the love of my life. We've been married for a little over 36 years. Uh, we are more in love today than we were when we married. We still have conflict. 
but I'm convinced the more people bump, the closer they get together. And she has done that for me. Um, I have three children. I have Bethany, whom Michelle taught when she was in elementary school, and she still remembers vividly those lessons you taught her. Uh, she's married to Ryan Carson. They are planting a church in the Stallings area at, at Southern Evangelical Seminary this fall. Uh, they have given Marilyn and me two grandchildren and a third on the way in November. Uh, Anna Grace is almost four and Caleb is a year and a half. Um, if I had known grandparenting was so much fun, I'd have skipped parenting altogether. <laughs> so I have generational Chadwicks moving forward. I have a son, David, uh, who is a senior at Valparaiso University in Indiana on a basketball scholarship. Duh, go figure, huh? He's taller than I am. Uh, he's married to Jesse. They've been married a little over a year, and it's been cool to see them fall in love. Uh, my youngest is Michael. He is 19. Uh, he's a swimmer, which I don't know where that came from. I almost died three times as a child in water, but he's jumped in as a child and never gotten out. Uh, he is a scholarship swimmer at the University of Missouri. Uh, he set three Missouri records this year in swimming and was named an honorable mention All-American, so I'm pretty proud of my boy. He's a great kid. All three of my children love Jesus deeply and powerfully. Though I'm sure they've flirted with sin, Marilyn and I proudly say they have walked faithfully with the Lord all the days of their lives. We love each other and have tried to model Christ in our home. Uh, we believe with all of our hearts, the more we tried to shove Jesus down their throats, the more they rejected him. So we tried to make them hunger for our relationship with Christ. We tried to model it. We believe with all of our hearts that the Christian faith for children is best caught, not taught. And we wanted them to have what we have. Marilyn and I came to Forest Hill Church in 1980. Do the math. We've been here 34 years, June the 29th. The church was about 150, mostly people with gray hair, one child in the nursery, on a good Sunday. We were told by the authorities over the church that we were coming most likely to bury it. But I just don't believe that God's in the burying business. I believe God is in the resurrection business. So Marilyn and I, if you want to give God the glory for that, we like to do that uh, a lot around Forest Hill. <laughs> Marilyn and I began to love the people, began to preach the gospel, and we just began to grow. Not greatly. These churches that go from zero to 10,000 in a couple few years make me scratch my head because that's never what happened at Forest Hill. We began very, very slowly and just incrementally added people to the body of Christ. We were over on Woodlawn Road uh, on the east side of town when we began, and then we found out there was some property on Park Road available as we continued to grow. So we purchased at 7224 Park Road some 27 acres, and we continued to grow in 1987 until we added a worship facility in 2000, and we continued to grow thereafter. Um, I think God has been good to give us slow incremental growth because it's been much easier to assimilate people. Um, when you have explosive growth, it's much more difficult. Uh, so we have casually, incrementally, purposefully added people to the body of Christ through the years. 
Um, about 2002, uh, we began to struggle on the South Park campus with parking and growth and all of that. So we began to ask the question, should we perhaps sell that property and do what was done in that day, and that's find 100 acres someplace and build a huge mega church? Because Rob knows this, during that day, the regional church was really the way you did things, and that was to have a large piece of property where people from all over the area would come and worship with you. But what we discovered was as, as people got you know, older and started having children, they wanted to stay in their communities. Making that 40-minute drive from wherever became increasingly difficult. Plus, we found out that in order to sell our property and buy 100 acres and build the infrastructure and the buildings, property, etc., cetera, uh, would be around 50 to $75 million. Gulp. And so we said, you know, I'm just not sure that's the best thing to do. So we began to ask the question, are there other options? And I had some young guys on staff who said, well, there's something beginning to happen in church world called the multi-site movement. And maybe that's something we should look at. And I said, what's the multi-site movement? They said, it is taking your church that has reached its zenith and growth and not doing the regional megachurch model anymore, but planting your DNA in different areas around the church. And I said, well, how do I get from one place to another? They said, we do a video of you on a Saturday night, and we show that on the other campuses on Sunday. And I scratched my head. I said, so in other words, people are going to come and watch me on a video screen? And they said, yes. And I said, it'll never work. It'll never work. People aren't going to come and watch me on a video screen. Well, we put a campus in the Ballantyne area and in the Rock Hill area, two places where we had a lot of people from South Park coming. So there was a business mindset. For those of you who are business folks, you know the term cannibalization. We could cannibalize off the South Park campus, create more space there, and plant little smaller venues in other areas where we had a lot of people coming. And so we did that, and sure enough, after a couple of years, there were a couple few hundred people coming at both places. And so I'm scratching my head going, this is obviously something that's working. People will come watch me on a video venue. And I suddenly realized that as an older guy, this culture in which we live is very video-driven, right? You have your iPads, you have your computers, you have your TVs, the movies. People are used to watching screens in front of them. So then we did a study of the whole multi-site movement and asked the question, what can we learn from the different churches that have been successful with it? We actually even did a tour out in the Midwest and visited some very successful multi-site churches, and we came back with one truth, and that was this one. In order for multi-sites to work, they have to have their own campus eventually. Great to go to movie theaters, great to go to schools, but at some point after three to four years or so, the tearing down and setting up every week just wears people down. So we went to our congregation about five years ago and said, would you be willing to help us build permanent campuses at Ballantyne and then Fort Mill? We moved Rock Hill to Fort Mill. That was more our demographic. And we raised um, somewhere around $7.3 million, and we built a Ballantyne campus in association with the, the Ballantyne YMCA, uh, they had a great need for a gymnasium. They'd only been in existence for a couple of years. They'd already outgrown it. They were the second fastest growing Y in the country. Uh, they knew they weren't going to get any more money from Central because they'd already dedicated millions upon millions there, yet they had this great need. We couldn't get into Ballantyne buying property and building buildings for anything less than around 20 to $25 million. We went gulp on that. 
So that's when we suggested, we'll build your new gym if we can model it in a way that would look like a worship service on the weekends. And sure enough, they worked with us, and for $5 million, we were able to put a campus in Ballantyne that now has over 1,000 people coming. Then we went to Fort Mill, and we found an old warehouse, and we remodeled it. And we said, I wonder if the same thing's going to happen. That was a year and a half ago when we finalized that building. It now has over 1,000 people coming. What's amazing about Fort Mill is that 51% of the, 51% of the people who come there are children. Remember the day when I had one child in the nursery on a good Sunday? Um, adult to children ratio is 51 to the adults. And, and what's so interesting is we look at the, ma- the Waxhaw demographic, it's almost exactly like Fort Mill. Almost exactly like it. So we began to think, okay, this has worked in two places. Where's our next place? And we began to study our people again, the cannibalization process and the needs that were out there. And it was obvious that Waxhaw was that next place. So we began our study. We began looking into possible places that we could have our new venue. And after a long study, we found this property. I think it's going to be on the screen. Um, It's a piece of property on the corner of Kensington Road and Providence Road. Uh, It is somewhere around 10.5 acres. Uh, It's right in the center of New Waxhaw. Uh, It is two miles from this campus. And it's going to be absolutely gorgeous. Do you have the rendering of the drawing itself? This is what the building will look like. Pretty cool, isn't it? They have uh, told us, the Waxhaw folks, that we've got to have red brick on the outside. Got to fit into the environment around us. And we said, okay. There's a fountain down on the corner there. I said, where'd the fountain come from? They said, that's a baptismal fountain. No, just kidding, folks. Okay. The artists were trying to make it look really attractive and everything. But it's a building that will seat around 1,000 people because we've decided that's about the right size for a campus. The other campuses are about that size. We'll have a large area for children because the mistake we made at Fort Mill, by the way, was we didn't have enough children's space. And you know where God guides, God provides. Do you know that? Would you say that with me? Where God guides, God provides. At Fort Mill... We were in in a real dire strait there with a number of children coming. We hadn't built enough space for them. Well, they had a water tower right next to our property. We wanted to put Forest Hill Church on top of the water tower to make ourselves visible. Well, the city comes to us and says, we got to tear down the water tower. We need an easement to the water tower. Here's the deal. If you'll let us have an easement to tear down the water tower, we'll deed over to you that one acre plus on which the water tower rests. We went, sure. Guess where the children's building is going? On that water tower acre. And if we hadn't had that acre, we could not have built the new children's wing, which will be completed the end of July at the Fort Mill campus. Where God guides, God provides. He always does, folks. He always does. So we have purchased this property. We think uh, we can have ourselves in it somewhere around Christmas time of 2016. That'll be a year plus. It's just going to take that long, largely because we've got to do another fundraiser in the fall, which we'll do. But also, constructionists uh, tell us that you can't really begin construction on a new building uh, in the late fall. It's just impossible because of the winter weather. So we'll need to start in the spring anyway. Not only have enough money to build the building, but also to allow the construction folks to build it the way it needs to be built. Oh, you need to know, Forest Hill Church has around a $14.3 million budget. 
It's pretty large. We are committed carefully to oversee that amount of money that God has given us. You also need to know that Forest Hill operates impeccably and vigorously with an absolute no-debt policy. You need to know that. We will not incur debt. Now, that doesn't allow us to expand probably as fast as some other churches can because they'll go into debt and draw upon a line of credit in order to expand. We're just not going to do that. The economy, in some ways, is a little shaky still. But also, we want all of God's money to go to missions and ministry and not to go to a bank and debt service. So we'll raise the money first, and we'll wait till we have it in hand before we begin the building. We have every reason to believe if we raise 7.3 four to five years ago um, and now have three to 4,000 more people coming, that we can easily do that, to raise around $8 million to $9 million in order to expand. We're also looking as a part of this thing with building the campus in Waxhaw, building a campus somewhere on South Boulevard to serve the underserved, broken Latino community that's moving in there. And we know that as God is opening up this door for us in Waxhaw, a fairly prosperous area, mostly, we're also looking at a broken area where we can serve people in the name of our risen Lord Jesus Christ. We now have somewhere around six to 7,000 people on the three campuses, soon to be four. Oh, I guess I should say now four. <laughs> and we're, we continue to have every expectation that what has happened at Ballantyne and Fort Mill will happen in Waxhaw. And that's why you are here today, hopefully to be the foundation for that new campus. Now, I recognize that some of you love Rob Singleton and Michelle dearly, as do I. And you love his preaching. And in some ways, I can never be like him. Never. My hair is gray. I am 20 years older. But I love Jesus. And what I promise you that I'll do is faithfully with vigor and enthusiasm regularly unfold the Word of God. And I'll invite you to be what I think is a movement to change the world for Jesus. What I want to do now is to share with you the basic mission statement of Forest Hill and to invite you not to follow me but to follow a church that's trying to follow this mission statement. And it is eerily similar to the one Rob has for you. Uh, and when Rob came to me several weeks ago and said, I, I sense God's just making my roots looser. He he's asking me to go someplace, and I think it's outside of Charlotte. And I've got several churches that are contacting me, and th they want me, and I'm not sure what to do because I don't want to leave my impact church folks wanting in any way whatsoever. Here's my idea. Can the two of us merge and that way, I'm free to begin to explore these other places where I think God's calling Michelle and me, and then I'll know that the Impact Church is readily cared for. Well, interestingly, as Impact was formed, uh, you guys wrote a governance document overseen by your elders that we at Forest Hill helped you write. Our elders met with your elders and over a time period wrote that document together. And as we began to talk about Rob's proposal, <laughs> amazingly, everything just began to fall together so easily. And I don't know about you folks, whenever you try to bring two entities together, it is never this easy. It has just felt like a Holy Spirit deal from the very beginning. And I know Rob cares deeply for you impact folks. And the, the thing he didn't want to do more than anything else was to leave you as orphans. 
So that's where this adoption idea comes in, that we will bring to you the resources and the vision of Forest Hill. How long is I, am I going to be in this leadership gig? I hope for a long time. And, and I'm just one to believe in a crazy way that as somebody gets older, the wisdom that that person has might be something that will attract younger people. What's interesting is, as I'm getting older, Forest Hill's getting younger. And I think one of the reasons is because you who are younger didn't have good dads. You didn't have mentors. You didn't have older people, wiser people, who are walking with you because they've walked the track already. I'm not cool and hip, guys. I love young music. Man, what Will did here really turned me on. It's great music. I love it. But I'm not cool and hip. I'm not going to wear spiked hair. I'm not going to have skinny jeans, okay? That'd probably gross you out. I understand that. That's not who I am. I am a man who passionately loves Jesus and who has a desire to die in the pulpit. I hope I'll pronounce the benediction one Sunday and then have a heart attack and go be with the Lord. The only thing I hope is that Marilyn will have a similar one right at the same time and we can go hand in hand together. That, that's my hope. But I want to keep preaching the gospel as long as I have breath in these lungs. And I want to lead the church of Jesus Christ because I know Jesus loves his church. So here's Forest Hill's mission statement. Here's my hope and my dream is that God will continue to use me to give you this desire from him. The first statement from Forest Hill is to glorify God. It's all about him. It's not about me. I am nothing. He is everything. Everything I have, especially eternal salvation, is a gift from him. And the word that drives the Forest Hill Church is grace. And truth. I'll not fudge on truth. You need to know that. When there is something the Bible clearly teaches, I will clearly teach it. I will always balance grace and truth. But grace is why Jesus came. The young man who asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? was asking for rules and regulations so he could obey them and get to heaven. But it can't work because we're sinful and we're far apart from a holy God. So the only way we can get to heaven is not by our good works, it's for God to do it for us. And he did in Jesus. And he came and he lived the perfect life none of us could live and died on the cross so that we, by faith, through grace, could be saved. So, so grace acknowledges everything is a gift from God, that he alone deserves and receives all the glory. The word glory in the Greek is an interesting word. It means weight, W-E-I-G-H-T. And it means if you glorify God, God is heavier than anything else in your life. When you drop an anvil in water, the anvil is heavier than the water. So God is heavier, greater than anything else in your life. And you realize that, so you give him thanksgiving every day you live because you know everything you have is a gift from God through grace. So we want to glorify God to make sure he has primacy in all of our lives. Well, then the question comes, well, how do you glorify God? And there are three words that Forest Hill uses to how to glorify God. Know, grow, go. Say them with me. Know, grow, go go. They do rhyme, don't they, Rob? Yeah. <laughs> and they're easy to remember. Let me unpack them for you very briefly. First of all, we want you to know Christ. Paul in Philippians 3 said this, that everything else in life he considered as dung, manure, garbage, whatever the word exactly means, the connotation's the same. Refuse. It's the bottom of the barrel. It's everything else in life is considered nothing except for one thing, to know Christ. It is the most intimate term possible. 
It describes the intimacy of a man and a woman in a physical relationship. That's what God wants for us. More than anything else is to know him. It means experiential faith. It means your heart being set ablaze by the glory of Jesus. It means a deep love for him that's greater than any other love in your life. How do you develop the knowing of God? It's by intimately spending time with him each day. Forrester will bring to bear all of our resources on how to help you have daily quiet times, daily times with the Lord, daily times when you worship him, because it is important every single day to know him. You see, when you get up in the morning, you have an option of your feet hitting the ground and saying either, good Lord, it's morning, or good morning, Lord. It's your choice. But if you know him, your feet should hit the ground saying, good morning, Lord. You're in me and I'm in you. There's a union life that exists in us. And I live every day with you expressing your love in and through me because I know you intimately as my Lord and my Savior. To know Christ is the way to glorify God. Secondly is to grow in Christ. Well, how do you grow in Christ? There are several different ways in the church. The, the knowing Christ is a personal love for Jesus. The growing in Christ, I think, is a personal love for the church of Jesus Christ. The church is under condemnation from a lot of people in our world today. And in some ways, justifiably so, we have behaved in ways that should have criticism thrown our way. But still, with every way that the Christian church has failed, there are many ways the Christian church has succeeded. And you can't say to Jesus, I love you, but I don't love your church. You just can't do that. The church is one foundation. is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her, and for her life he what, folks? He died. Jesus died to give birth to the church. So for you to say, I love Jesus, I just don't love his church, that's like saying to me, David, I really love you, I just don't like Marilyn. You can't say that to me. Them fighting words. If you love me, you've got to love that which I love most in the world. That's my wife, Marilyn. If you love Jesus, you've got to love that which he loves most in this world, that for which he died, the church. So, so how do you love the church? There's several different ways. One is we will teach you continually financial generosity. The chief rival God to God is money. Jesus said so. The most often talked about subject Jesus addressed was money. The most often talked about subject in the Bible two times more than anything else, number two is prayer, is money. It will destroy your faith like nothing else if you love it. Jesus made it the chief rival God. You can't love God and money. He said that money has a spiritual power underneath it. I think it's demonic. That lures you to worship it. The only option is to love God more. And when you do so, the way you break the back of the money monster is by learning financial generosity. Learning how to give. So we will teach you financial generosity. Secondly, we'll try to help you understand your spiritual giftedness. When you do, you use that in volunteering to build up the body of Christ. It's an important part of making the church work. Thirdly, you build the body by coming to worship on a regular weekly basis. Uh, people say to me, well, I can worship God in nature. You can't worship God in nature. You need the body of Christ to worship. 
Oh, you can, I guess, give God the glory when you're out in nature and raise your hands and maybe sing a few spiritual songs. But worship is corporate. And Jesus worshiped every week biblically as was his custom. So coming together and worshiping is a powerful way of your growing in your love for the church and love for the Lord. By the way, that one Sunday when you choose to worship at Bedside Baptist, that was a joke, folks. Come on now. I got, I got, or, or the Church of the Inner Springs, when, when you choose to not come together in the fellowship of believers, that might be the very weekend where Pastor Rob or Pastor David or Pastor Mike, somebody speaks the very truth that will help you overcome your discouragement in life. So you come together as a part of growing in the body of Christ. But finally, and what's most important in Forest Hill, we think the best way to grow is in life groups. Again, we have 6,000 plus people, including children on a weekend. We have over 70% of our people in life groups. Groups of eight to 12 to 15 or so that come together on a weekly or every other week basis and they learn how to practice all the one another's in the Bible. See, one of the problems in the church is we think that people can continue to grow in worship looking at the back of somebody's head. Here's my question for you. How in the world do you love one another, care for one another, serve one another, pray for one another, all those one another's in the Bible, looking at the back of somebody's head? I mean, in the middle of my message or Rob's message, do you tap somebody on the shoulder and say, hey, let me have a prayer for you? You can't do that. That's silly. God never intended his church to live solely in rows. He wants his church to learn how to live in circles. Face-to-face, practicing the one another's. That's how you grow in community. God intended us to be in community. The church, again, not being just in rows, but in circles. And so we believe that a way to grow your faith in the body of Christ is through life groups. We will push it. We will probably ad nauseum, make you sick about it. You need to be in a life group. If you're a part of the biblical community of faith, you need to be in circles learning how to share faith with another fellow believer in Christ. So there's no, and there's grow, and then finally there's go. And this is putting feet out into the world. Rob asked the question, you know, where's my mission? Let me give you my answer. You know where your mission field is? Between your feet. Wherever you are. In work or in play, wherever you are, you ask constantly, Lord, please use me. I'm your instrument. With anyone whom I may meet, use me powerfully. So as you go, there are two ways to go. First of all, to the least. That's how we call them, the least, the broken, the deprived, the disenfranchised, the poor, the needy, the oppressed. And they are all around us, folks. They're all in the world. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost ends of the world. Jerusalem and Judea is probably your neighborhood. Samaria is the broken places in this city and around the world. The Samaritans were despised by the Jews. There are people who are despised because of their brokenness all around us. And we're called to care for them. You know, the whole idea of preaching the gospel must be balanced by a care and compassion for the poor. Both are biblical. And if you take one off, the airplane can't fly. Both need to be there. And Forest Hill takes seriously being God's carriers of grace 
to the least and the lost. Now let's talk some more about the least. Here's who we care for. We have five justice initiatives at Forest Hill that are very significant for us and very important for us. Uh, first of all, we care for the orphans and the homeless. There are, Mike, help me, Mike Bowler, the, the, worldwide now, how many orphans are there? 40 million orphans around the world. And they're there because of AIDS and genocide and starvation and a lot of reasons, but they're there. And do you know, biblically, all of us in Jesus are orphans adopted by him into his family. We were waifs and wandering on the street side. He came to us, invited us into his home, and adopted us. Why? I don't have a clue why God adopted me. My, my brother Howard's a songwriter, and he wrote a song one time. Why did he choose me? He could have chosen any fish in the sea. Why did he choose me? And the answer is, I don't have a clue. And there's another one of my seminary profs who one time used the Old Testament to look at God's election of the Jews, and he'd say, how odd of God to choose the Jews. <laughs> why, why did he choose the Jews? There was nothing significant about them. There was nothing extraordinarily powerful about them. He just chose them because he chose them. And there's something in the whole idea of adoption, that God just adopted us into his family because, maybe especially because, we were so broken. There are 40 million orphans throughout the world, and Forest Hill's begun a movement, if you will, to adopt children in DSS locally, and to adopt children internationally, and to adopt children nationally, and also to support children through the many different organizations that are simply giving them water, food, etc., so we want to care for the orphans and also the homeless here in Charlotte. There are still something like, I don't know, um, a million homeless children in Charlotte. They're just a large number. We've got to care for them. Secondly, we want to care for the clean water problems in the world. Every 20 seconds, a child dies of a preventable disease, mostly through unclean water. Another child just died. So we dig wells all over the world to bring clean water to people who don't have it. We're also very concerned about genocide, particularly in Africa. That's the major place it still happens today. But it's also happening right now in Syria, in Iraq, and in the Sudan, the three major places today. And the reason is because a tribal entity will hurt another tribal entity, and then that tribal entity will respond in greater anger, and then this one will respond in greater anger, and then over decades, basically, you wipe out tribes. That's what happened in Rwanda, between the Hutus and the Tutsis in 94, where 800,000 people were killed in three months. And then they spilled over into Burundi, which is a place where we have a lot of our work going on today. And then over the next 15 years, another million were killed, the Hutus killing the Tutsis, and the Tutsis killing the Hutus. Forest Hill has built a reconciliation center in the city of Bujumbura, Burundi, for the purpose of bringing together all of these tribal entities all throughout Africa and teaching them the only way you'll ever quit killing yourselves is through the forgiveness and love of Jesus. And we have now trained hundreds upon hundreds of people in that nation on how to forgive one another and stop the senseless cycle of genocidal killing. We think Jesus would have us be a part of ministries of reconciliation. Thirdly, we're in, fourthly, we're involved in the persecuted church. 
In the first weekend of November this year, Nagame Abedini is coming to speak at Forest Hill. In case you don't know, she is the wife of Pastor Saeed, imprisoned in Iran right now because of his love of Jesus. He is beaten, persecuted, and tortured every single day practically because of his love for Jesus. And many of us are standing up saying, that shouldn't happen. This isn't a Christian issue. This is a religious freedom issue. The same thing with Dr. Miriam in the Sudan right now, who gave birth to a child two weeks ago while being chained in a prison cell. Why is she in prison? Because she loves Jesus. Not to speak of the 300 Nigerian girls who were kidnapped by a radical Islamic group. We need to stand for justice for those who are being wrongly persecuted of any faith, but especially the Christian faith, being in prison simply because they love Jesus. And finally, we are very involved in the whole human trafficking and sex trafficking industry. That has a lot of traction around the world and especially at Forest Hill. We've built a couple of safe houses here in Charlotte. Oh, by the way, did you know Charlotte is the sixth largest sex trafficking city in the United States? Do you know why? Airport. I-77, I-40, I-85 all kind of come together near Charlotte. And the girls from other countries and even around the country are brought here because they know there's an appetite for it. And I'll go ahead and tip my hand. I hate pornography. I hate what it does to sexualize and objectify women. I think to love our sisters in Christ needs to be, we stand, especially we men, saying, if you guys would quit watching pornography, the sex trafficking industry would shrivel. We need to be involved not only locally but globally, burgeoning around the world. It is now the largest industry around the world, over $50 billion, more than the NFL, NBA, baseball league, hockey, all of them combined. So we have a concern for the least, the broken of the world. But we also, folks, finally have a great heart for the lost, for people who don't know Christ. Jesus is the one who taught about hell. I don't enjoy speaking about it because it always offends somebody. But the one who taught the most about hell comes from the gentlest lips of any person who's ever uttered a word. Jesus is the one who taught the reality that people who die without him have an eternal separation from him. We must proclaim the gospel. We must tell people about Jesus. Here in Charlotte, in the broken places around the world, and also throughout the world. So Forest Hill has a real commitment to help teaching you what we call our I3 strategy. Intercede, invest, and invite. We've taught it for many years. We want to teach you how to intercede for God to bring into your sphere of influence someone who doesn't know Jesus. So as you're practicing your mission field between your feet, you're always ready to meet someone who doesn't know him. Then you invest your life in that person, get to know them as a friend, and they see that you're not a wacko, weirdo Christian, that you're a real person with the same hurts and anguishes they have, but who knows personally Jesus. And then you invite, invite them to Jesus, invite them to Forest Hill, invite them to wherever church you may go, and let them hear the gospel again and again and start the no, grow, go in their lives. So we want to help you learn how to share your faith because to go is not an option. But we also want to teach you how to go into all the world. And we bring Forest Hill's international missions to you too. What we do is each campus adopts an area of the world where they want the gospel to go spread. Uh, the Fort Mill campus has adopted Columbia in South America, which, by the way, is in the top 10 of the persecuted church in the world. You know why? One of the reasons is because Christianity is burgeoning there, 
and people are being disciplined by the Holy Spirit not to be involved in drugs, and the drug cartel hates it. So they're persecuting Christians, and especially those who are proclaiming the gospel because they want it to stop so that people will continue to use drugs and not Jesus. The South Park campus has adopted the Dominican Republic, some other places in the Caribbean Rim, and also Central Africa. As I mentioned, Burundi, Sudan, those places where the persecuted church needs a voice, where genocides occurred. And we've also, all the campuses, but especially South Park, has adopted India, the nation of India. Um, I'm asked all the time, I bet you are too, Rob, when's Jesus coming back? Are we living in the end times? Well, maybe we are. We're not supposed to predict the day or the hour. We are supposed to read the signs of the time. As you look into the world, you see some signs beginning to crop up, some things that suggest maybe the end times are occurring. But here's what I always say. Read Mark 13, 10. Read Matthew 24, 14. Jesus said, I'm not coming back until every ethnic group and every tribe has heard the gospel. Now, folks, let me just give you India alone. There are 400 million people in India who've never heard the, God, the name of Jesus. 400 million. That's more than the United States citizenry. How can we not be concerned for that as followers of Jesus? We must be. So over the last three years, we have planted 700 churches all throughout India in unreached people's group. We have a dream over the next years until David dies or Jesus comes back that we're going to plant 10,000 churches in unreached people's groups throughout the world. And we're going to make sure we do that because if anything will usher in his second coming, it will be when every group and every tribe has heard the name of Jesus. The Fort Mill campus, Columbia, South America, the South Park campus, the Caribbean, Central Africa, India, and the Ballantine campus is primarily focused on Haiti. If you want to know what real-world poverty is like that exists like in India and other places through the world, go to Haiti. Waxhaw? Well, Mike, you've got some work to do, don't you? One of the things Mike will be doing is working with the leadership here to determine the place where God's calling you. Where might it be? It'll be exciting to see that unfold in the future as you guys take seriously the gospel of Jesus Christ being proclaimed throughout the world. I'm done. That's who we are. I hope you'll come join us. We, we've asked the impact people if they would be willing to give us seven weeks. I'm not Rob, as I said before, but we have a great mission, and it's a wonderful church with a lot of people filled with grace, and we'd love for this to work, and by Christmas time, have 600 people in here. Oh, and by the way, for those of you who wonder about it, watching me on a video screen, I get that, but we have a couple of thousand that do it, it doesn't even bother them. The other thing you need to know is, is I will regularly come visit the campuses live as a part of my commitment to be live and to also shake your hand and get to know you because I have absolutely no desire to be a celebrity pastor. In fact, today, I will stand up here and greet as many of you who want to meet me until all of you are gone, if you want that. Because for me, celebrity pastor is an oxymoron. I do not have bodyguards. I don't even understand that. 
how can a shepherd know his sheep with bodyguards? So I will stay and greet you. If you want to kill me, I get to go to Jesus and you get eternally judged. Okay, some, you know, not a bad deal, huh? So you know, I'm just going to be here if you guys want to meet me. I would love to do that. Okay. And um, I'm supposed now to ask Mike to come forward. Is that correct? And that's going to be the end, right? I'm going to pray. Thank you very much. Um, you will learn too that sometimes I forget something, but I try not to. Let's pray. Father in heaven. It's your church. It's not my church. It's not Rob's church. It's not Mike's church. It's your church. And Lord, I've learned through the years that Christians are like spokes on a wheel. And you're the hub of that wheel. And the closer we get to you, the closer we get to one another. And the farther away we get from you, the farther away we get from one another. So I would pray that the church of Jesus who lives inside of all of us would love you greatly. And I pray that in our love for you, we would love one another more. We would be drawn closer to one another and put aside all of those silly things that have divided the church through the years. Oh Lord, let us focus on you, exalt you, and if we concentrate on no grow go, the things that divide us will grow strangely dim. Father, may we answer the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, that we would be one, no longer fractured, no longer separated by our pride and our arrogance, but one in love for you and love for one another. Lord, I pray for Robin Michelle and the stirrings that you put into his heart months upon months ago that perhaps they were to go someplace else. And Lord, I just know that where you guide, you provide. I can only imagine as they pray through these several different churches that really want them, seemingly, that they'll know where you're calling them specifically and do so soon. I pray especially for Michelle who touched my daughter so deeply years ago and her two children, Rob's and her two children. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they would know your call and know your will and obey. I pray you'd be, again, especially with Michelle as Whenever the nest is stirred, that's particularly difficult for the wife. And I pray, Lord, you'd give her peace. And know that as she steps out of the boat into your oceans, you will be there to meet her. And Lord, I pray for the children. I remember my daddy moved me going into my junior year in high school from Kansas City to Orlando. And at the time, I just grit my teeth and went, what are you doing, Dad? And yet, looking back, Lord, if that hadn't happened, I, I never would have gone to North Carolina and played basketball for Dean Smith. I, I would have never gone to Europe. I would have never met my wife, and I wouldn't have those three beautiful children and three beautiful grandchildren. So, Lord, sometimes you're on the five-year plan. You don't really show us what you're doing until five years later. 
but I pray that one day you would show Rob and Michelle and the kids what you were doing and how you were working, especially when today they may not fully see the picture. And remind them, as you've reminded me so often, the most often spoken word in heaven is going to be, oh, <laughs> oh, as you explain to us why you did what you did, why you moved us as you moved us, we'll just say, oh, 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 I praise you, Jesus, the sovereign Lord of my life, the sovereign creator of the universe the gracious King of kings and Lord of lords. So Lord, I give you this church. It's your deal, not mine. And I pray it would be merged and unified to be a powerful witness here in the Waxhaw and beyond area. Show us the broken people in this city, in the school system, and how we can exalt you in our ministry and service. Be glorified, Jesus. Thank you. It's in your wonderful, blessed, and holy name I pray this. Amen. So, I only have a 30-minute sermon for you all. Are we ready? Why are y'all laughing? It's great to see everybody here. I want to just take a minute about what's next, next steps. You know, if you are a, I like things organized in a neat row and everything figured out, then we will see you in August. Otherwise, if you are willing to live with a little bit of gray the next few weeks, we are going to spend the next month transitioning and spending some time getting to know each other. So one of the things we want to be sure is that everybody recognizes that we give a lot of grace over the next few weeks as we get to know one another, as we transition systems of way we do things, of transitioning even things like signage and uh, handouts, and there's just a million details. But one of the things we need is not only your grace and your patience, but we also need us all to come together. And if you are here and we invited you from Forest Hill to be here today, we are so glad you're here. You're here because somebody told us that you would make a fantastic volunteer. So we are so glad that you're here and we are hoping that you will take the Get Connected card and if you're with Impact and you're not volunteering, we want you to do the same thing, but to take the Impact card and please tell us where you might be able to volunteer. We are particularly going to be in need once we open up Forest Hill Waxhaw to all of our Forest Hill family and the surrounding community. We think we're going to need lots more children's volunteers and we will also need greeters. We need those right now as well as some folks to help with a little bit of the setup with signage and things like that. If you are here and able to do that, would you please fill that out? It won't be a commitment forever. It's just until Jesus comes back. I promise. So it's great to have everybody here. As you go now from this place, remembering that the foundation that we are building on is Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask David to come up, and as he does, to say our benediction. Know that I'm around. My wife Andrea and daughter Ashley and Chase are here today, not uh, on the Jumbotron, but we are so glad that y'all could come today. Please come down and say hello to us. We will stay around as long as we can as well. This is my friend Mike, just to show you that God has love on both ends of the spectrum of height, you know. Um, I, I, I didn't mention to y'all, I did play basketball in North Carolina. Are there any ABCers here, anybody but Carolina who just hates Carolina? Lord be with you. May conversion happen in your life quickly and suddenly. 
Some people hate Carolina so much they'd root for the Taliban if Carolina played the Taliban. But anyway, I love basketball, and that's where my hype came from, and that's a part of my life and history. I just want to tell you one quick thing about Mike. I asked him some time ago, I said, Mike, what is it that you just love to do? What, what is it you just love to do? And his answer is intriguing. I've shared this often. He said, David, I just love to talk people down off ledges. Isn't that great? He is a true pastor. And he will love you deeply from the bottom of his heart and will help talk you down off ledges when you feel like life has no hope. He's a really good and godly man. We've known Mike and Andrea and their two adopted children. They're two wonderful children because we're all adopted. I mean, I'm envious of adopted children. They get to know the grace of God better than I do. But they have been friends for 20 plus years. And you'll have a privileged relationship with a wonderful family and a wonderful man of God. Would you receive the benediction? And, and at Forest Hill, we try to reclaim some things from the past of church history. In the early church, people would cup their hands when they would receive the benediction. If you're comfortable, would you do that now? And, and pretend like I'm just pouring living water into your fingers, into your palms of your hand. May the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of His Holy Spirit, be yours today, tomorrow, and for all the days you live. And will you know that he will never leave you, will never forsake you, and that the glory, the weight, belongs to him and him alone. Would you now put that in your heart? Believe it. And go in peace. Amen.